Okay, Acts chapter 1. We'll begin just a couple of verses we'll read together. Let's, let's read the word of the Lord beginning at verse 9. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for the uh, exuberance of worship in this house and praise. But now I ask you to open our hearts that we may hear and receive your word. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I pray that this will be a word of challenge, but it will also be a word of encouragement. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. And I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray that you will send the Holy Spirit after them. And I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. I ask, O oh Lord, that you will draw them back to you so that not one of them will be lost. I pray these things in the only name that matters that matchless, strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Somebody just shout one more time praises to the Lord, would you? Hallelujah. Amen. 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 And you may be seated. That, that feels like church now. You know? It doesn't take someone with an advanced degree from an institution of higher learning to recognize that we live in a world in crisis. Regardless of what source you use for your news, virtually every headline, every breaking story, every commentator brings a report of another crisis. Even those leading voices who have no spiritual or religious bent are saying that this world cannot long survive on its present course. It seems that we are rushing headlong toward a dramatic conf confrontation of cataclysmic proportions. No one seems to know what the final outcome is going to be. But we all have this uneasy feeling that whatever it is, <laughs> it won't be good. And when you look in the pages of God's Word, you find that it has something to say about all of this. In fact, it has a lot to say about it. God hasn't left us wondering about the outcome of our lives or of our planet or this entire universe. Instead, he has given some very clear information about how this is all going to turn out. Several weeks ago, I gave this congregation an opportunity to give an expression of themes you'd like to see addressed in messages. Hands down, the biggest request was for messages on end times and the book of Revelation. As you know, I recently concluded a series of messages on the first three chapters of Revelation. Last week, I walked you into chapters four and five of that book. Now, for the remainder of the book, 
I've decided I'm not going to talk verse by verse or chapter by chapter. Instead, what I want to do is I want to look at some broad themes that are addressed in that book. And at the same time, try to connect them with other passages of Scripture to give you a broad overview of what the Bible has to say about the time of the end. So while the text for the message today isn't from that last book of the Bible, it is very much connected with this theme of what we can expect to happen as this age in which we are living draws to a close. I'm convinced we are indeed coming to the end. And God's Word talks about what that is going to look like and what is going to happen after the end. Did you know there is an after the end? There, there is. There is an after the end. The, the important thing I want to show you today is that the end isn't something you need to dread. Instead, when you examine what God has to say, you discover that the end is in reality an exciting promise to be anticipated. As I read through the pages of the Bible, I am struck by the number of promises that are made to the people of God, and especially the promises made by Jesus to his followers. There's the promise he makes of eternal life. Anybody thankful for that? It's the promise of his abiding presence. There's the promise of his perfect peace. There's the promise of everlasting joy. There's the promise of provision for all our needs. There's the promise of help and comfort and strength and sustenance. On and on and on the list goes. Each page telling of divine blessing and benefit that comes from walking with the Lord Jesus. Of all the promises made to the first century followers of Jesus, perhaps none created as much excitement and anticipation as the promise that he would one day return. You know, sometimes we get into this mode of thinking that the things we go through and the areas where we struggle and the anxieties we experience, we start thinking they are all unique to us. You know, we get into this mindset that nobody has ever had it quite as bad as we have it right now. When we have a problem, it's the worst problem that's ever been experienced, right? When we are anxious, it's the, it's the worst situation anybody's ever been in. Sometimes we forget that the disciples of the first century experienced the same kind of issues we have today. See, these people had decided to follow Jesus... They had thrown in their lot against the establishment of the day to follow a man they believed to be the Messiah. They walked with him, learned from him, saw him in action, and committed their lives to following him. And just when it looked like it was all coming together, Jesus was taken by cruel hands and crucified on a rugged cross. The followers of Jesus knew the deep, dark night of the soul as they huddled in small groups, afraid for their lives, while Jesus was in a borrowed tomb. They knew the exhilaration of the glory of the resurrection. They even kind of got used to the disappearing act of Jesus. You know, one minute he would be there, and then the next minute he was not there, and, you know, now you see him, now you don't. They kind of got used to him just sort of popping in on them. Now when we, turn, when we turn our attention to the story that forms the text for the message today, we find that Jesus has led them out to the Mount of Olives. 
He has told them that they are to return to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then right before their eyes, he begins to ascend into heaven. Can you imagine the sheer awe and amazement that must have filled their hearts as they watched their friend and master being received into heaven? I just have this mental picture of their eyes as big as dinner plates, jaws dropping to their knees, their arms raised and hands outstretched, a giant exclamation of wonder rising from their lips. Along with the wonder and excitement, I suspect there was also a fair amount of anxiety. I mean, think about it. This, this goodbye wasn't like any of the others. It seemed so final, so complete. Jesus was glorified. He was being received back to the place from whence he had come. He had accomplished all he came to do on this earth, and now he was leaving. And the combination of wonder and amazement, along with fear, caused all the old anxieties to return. Forgotten was the promise of Jesus in John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. For what forgotten was the consolation of verse 18, where Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Forgotten was the comfort of verse 27, where Jesus promised, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The only thing that filled their minds and hearts were questions, doubts, and fears. And just when they were hoping for one more glimpse, two angels clothed in white garments appeared in the sky. They said in verse 11 of our text, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, what I want you to see is that this is more than a message given to awestruck disciples gathered on the Mount of Olives. This is a message to those who are living in a crisis-filled world today. In the middle of your present anxiety, when your heart is troubled, while you're facing a personal storm, the Lord wants you to remember this promise. What you're in right now isn't the end of the line, but there's a better and brighter day ahead. You are not just made for time, you're built for eternity. And the promise of the Lord is, He is surely coming again. The Lord wants you to understand that no matter how bleak and desperate your world appears sometimes, the events of this world and the events of your world have not taken him by surprise. In fact, you need to know 
that even though you may not be able to understand it all right now, the things that are happening in this world and the things that are happening in your life right now are part of a divine master plan that he is working out according to his timetable. See, right now, there is a crisis in the environment. There are dramatic shifts in the earth's weather patterns. There are reports of increased volcanic activity. There's a multiplication of earthquakes happening all over the world. Many of them in places there have never been earthquakes before. There is devastation caused by hurricanes and tsunamis and tornadoes and fires and floods and drought and heat. None of those things has taken God by surprise. In fact, All of those are merely fulfillment. They're part of the fulfillment of the word of the Lord in Romans 8, 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. It's all part of Romans 8 and 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. When you look at the news feeds, you hear all kinds of negative reports of the terrible evil that is present in our world. But you need to understand that all of those reports, none of them have set off alarms around the throne of God because these are things that he knew were coming. They're nothing more than a fulfillment of 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. Realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self. Can anybody bear witness that that's going on right now? Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You can just randomly point to any place on the globe and there you will find military conflicts and disputes over territorial rights and political unrest and brutal killings and horrible carnage and and destructive floods and devastating famines. None of this is a surprise to God. It's just a fulfillment of Matthew 24, verses 6 through 8, where Jesus said, You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for these things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Rarely does a day go by without another piece of Bible prophecy unfolding right before our eyes. The increase of environmental turmoil, the proliferation of political corruption, spiritual decay, acceleration of countries in conflict, a pandemic that spread across the globe that we are still feeling the effects from, even the coming together of sovereign nations where they are willing to surrender their autonomy under one global government. To the uninitiated, all of these things are cause for anxiety and fear. To the one without understanding and knowledge is cause for discouragement and unrest, but right Right in the midst of the anxiety, right in the midst of wondering what in the world is going to happen next, that's when the Lord Jesus Christ steps forward and loudly proclaims from the pages of his word and says, do not be anxious. I have everything under control. All of this is just part of my plan. 
See, what you need to remember is that now is not the time to debate the timing of the rapture of the church. This isn't the time to argue about the identity of the Antichrist. This isn't the time to break fellowship with other believers about the details of the millennial kingdom. This is the time to be ready. This is the time to be working for the kingdom of God because the promise of God's word is very clear. The Son of Man is coming back to earth again. I want to tell you the answer to the anxiety of this age is not to ignore the issues. The answer is to recognize that nothing that is happening has taken God by surprise. He is still the ruler. He is still sovereign Lord. He is orchestrating everything so that it comes together at just the right time. And just when it looks like there are no other options, just like when it looks like there is no way out, just when it looks like everything is going to come crashing down around your ears, the Lord is going to signal the archangel to sound the trumpet. Everything is moving toward a grand finale orchestrated by God, and that grand finale is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth. The promise is that Jesus is coming again. I like the way the old King James Bible reads it. This same Jesus, not another Jesus, not a pseudo Jesus, not a pretend Jesus, uh -uh. one with nail prints in his hands and a scar on his side, the one who loved you and gave himself for you. He's coming to rescue you from a world that is hurtling toward judgment and destruction. Oh, I know it's been over 2,000 years since this promise was given, but I need to remind you one more time that delay is not denial. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he is still. While you're waiting, God is working. While you're caught in the crisis of the details and you can't see your way out of the emptiness of everyday routine, God is busy orchestrating the events of your life according to a grand design. While you're lost in the minutia, God is putting together a masterpiece. <laughs> all of the setbacks, all the delays, all the heartache, all the disappointment, none of that is wasted in the economy of God. The curtain may have come down at the end of act one but while you're sitting in the audience wondering if the lights are going to come back on God is rearranging all the set pieces on the stage in preparation for a glorious second act I tell you it's too soon to give up on the promise Jesus is coming sin will be no more Satan will finally and forever be vanquished sorrow will vanish pain will cease joy will come peace will reign death will be swallowed up in victory Jesus is coming. Now the promise is that Jesus is coming. And that leads me to ask you two questions. First question is this. If Jesus were to return at 6.30 this evening. Or if you were to die tonight. Is there anything you need to do to be ready to meet him? There, there is nowhere in the Bible that reveals just when the return of the Lord is going to happen. The Bible gives signs 
gives seasons. It gives things to look for as indicators, but there is never any date or time revealed. And the reason is because Jesus knows that some of you would try to wait till the very last minute to repent and be saved. Come on. He knows that if you knew exactly when he was going to return, some of you would procrastinate until the very end to get right with him. not calling any names, but you know who you are. So if you hear somebody, <clears throat> pay attention please to this, if you hear somebody prophesying about a specific date for the end of the world or a specific date for the rapture of the church, take it from me, they don't know what they're talking about. I don't care how many timelines and how many charts and how many graphs and how many special revelations and how many types and shadows they reference. Ignore them. Okay? The only thing the Bible says about the return of the Lord with any certainty is that it's going to happen suddenly. In fact, the way the Bible describes it is in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Faster than you can blink your eyes, that's how quick it's going to happen. Jesus didn't say when he would return because he wants you to live all of your life to the praise of his glory. See, if, if the Lord is going to return suddenly, then that means when the trumpet sounds, it's too late to be saved. It's too late to pray. It's, it's too late to get forgiveness from your brother or your sister. When the trumpet sounds, oh, you've missed it. It's too late to get the bitterness and the, angerness out, and the anger out of your life. It's too late to decide you're going to put God first in your life. It, it's too late to start saying no to the temptation. It's too late to start living your life according to God's plan. At the same time, nobody is given any promise of even your next heartbeat. At any moment, you could slip into eternity. If you were suddenly taken from this world, are you ready to meet Jesus? If, if Jesus were to return at 6.30 tonight, or, or if you were suddenly taken out of this world and you're not ready to meet him, then the proper response to this message ought to be repentance. It ought to be for you to surrender your life to follow Jesus. It ought to be to make things right so you are ready to meet Jesus whenever he returns. First question is, if Jesus were to return at 6.30 or if you were suddenly taken out of this world, is there anything you need to do to be ready to meet him? All right, here's the second question. If Jesus does not return tonight at 6.30, and if you die tonight, how are you going to live? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? See, the reality is, the people I'm preaching to today, I suspect most of you are not going to die before tomorrow. I pray that's the case, because I don't have time to do that many funerals, okay? I'm just saying. Most of you are going to live. You're going to keep going. So how are you going to live? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? Are you going to follow Jesus and serve him and obey him? Or are you going to go your merry way and ignore him? 
Are you going to live for yourself or are you going to live for him? Are you going to live in fear or are you going to live in faith? Between now and the time Jesus returns, there are three things you need to be doing. And I want to give you these very quickly and then I'm done. First of all, watch for the signs of his appearing. I've been talking to you about some of those signs in this message. I'll I'll speak more about them in the next couple of weeks. But see, the, the child of God should always be aware of what's going on around him or her. But don't let the signs become your focus. Hear that again. Let me say it louder for the people that need to turn the hearing aids up. Don't let the signs become your focus. I have a suggestion for you. If Jesus doesn't come tonight at 6.30, and if you don't die tonight, refuse to become distracted by trying to decipher somebody's dispensational chart purporting to show a timeline of world history. Just throw those charts in the trash. Stop reading about blood moons. I'm trying to help somebody here. Stop reading about blood moons. About to get myself in trouble because I had somebody last week since posted something on social media and tagged me in it. And they might be watching this message at some point. I don't know. So I'm liable to get in trouble, but it's not the first time I got myself in trouble. And probably won't be the last. Assuming Jesus doesn't come tonight at 6.30 and I don't die. They, they, they tagged me in an article about uh, a solar eclipse that had taken place and the path went across the U.S. and then it's set to come back in a, a year or two the opposite way and it's going to form an X over a place called Little Egypt in the central part of the nation and somebody was talking about that being one of the, you know, a sign that, uh, and so they, they tagged me, you know, have you seen this, Pastor Morgan? What do you think? I didn't respond to it because I'm like, why? Stop reading about blood moons. Ignore this solar eclipse path. If Jesus doesn't come and you don't die, stop obsessing over whether microchip technology or a vaccine is the mark of the beast. It's not. I'll just clue you in on that, okay? And quit trying to ferret out the identity of the Antichrist. If you just throw most of that stuff that you've heard in the, in the waste bin and do what I told you last Sunday and behold the lamb, you'd be a whole lot easier to get along with. And life would be so much simpler. We've got ourselves so messed up. And what you don't understand, I, I wasn't even going here. Oh, and here, Jesus, help me. Y'all not praying hard enough for me. What you don't understand is people try to read the book of the Revelation and they try to set that up as a timeline of this is this and this and this and this and this. What you don't understand is that John is writing there 
and he's writing, first of all, in symbolic and figurative language, and he's writing in code. He's writing to a church. See, he's a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos, and that means that any letter he sends out, the prison wardens are going to be reading before it ever gets out, and he's got to write stuff in such a way that the people he writes to understand it, but the wardens won't get it, because otherwise it's going to create more problems for the church he's writing to. And so he's writing all this stuff in figurative language, and sometimes he's writing about stuff that has already happened. And sometimes he's writing about stuff that's going on right now when he's writing, and some of the stuff he's writing about is stuff that is yet to come. And most people have trouble because they're trying to write, read all of it as if it's all stuff that is coming later, and they don't get the idea, well, some of it's already taken place. You know, some of what he writes about took place when the temple was destroyed is somewhere around A.D. 70. And we don't, even have to, we don't even have to worry about that stuff. But, well, we're all hot and bothered about it. Everybody's in a froth and a frenzy. I'm, I'm getting worked up here. I don't... I don't Because I just want you to understand, if you'll keep focusing on Jesus, you won't have to worry about anything else in the rest of the book. That's why every time he writes some of this stuff, and, and, and it looks like such horrible things going on, the very next thing he writes about is a scene of worship. Because he keeps saying, oh yeah, that's going on, but worship the Lord. Oh, yeah, this is happening right now, but worship the Lord. Oh, yeah, that's going to come about, but don't worry about it because just keep your eyes on Jesus. Just worship the Lord. See, if you focus on the signs, you'll either become confused or afraid. When you focus on the signs, you get stressed. When you focus on the signs, you get worn out and you get worn down. When you focus on the signs, you get weary. That's why saints are in a, in a turmoil right now. And everybody's, oh, I'm all, I'm all shook up. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. I, that was not anointed. Oh. We probably just need to dismiss and let me come down to the altar and pray right now, okay? I can't believe I did that. That's what happens when you get old. You just lose all your filters, you know? Listen, instead of allowing the signs to send you into a tailspin of hopeless despair, all of the signs ought to just cause you to remember, Jesus is coming. Crisis does not mean God has abandoned you or that this world is out of control or that evil is going to have the final world, final word. What it does mean is that the coming of the Lord is closer than it's ever been. Heed the words of Jesus in Luke 21 and 28. When these things begin to put, take place, straighten up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. 
Watch for the signs of his appearing. Second, then wait for the sound of his arrival. You know, in ancient times when the wedding party would accompany the bridegroom to get his bride for the wedding, a runner would go before the procession because they didn't know when the bridegroom was coming. And usually it's somewhere in the middle of the night. And he would, they, but they would send out a runner. And he would sound a trumpet going before him and he would shout, Behold, the bridegroom comes. And the Bible says that there's going to be a distinctive sound when Jesus comes again. It's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. That's what he means when he writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. I don't know if you can hear it or not, but it seems I can almost hear the celestial trumpeter warming up in the wings. I tell you, Jesus is coming. You need to shut out the distractions of this world. Close your ears to the siren songs of this age that seek to entice you to ignore the things of God and to abandon the hope of his promise. Tune into the frequency of heaven and wait for the sound of his arrival. Finally, what you need to be doing is worship the sun with adoration. When Jesus returns, Philippians 2 and 10 says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to tell you, worship is much more than the time we spend together on Sunday. Worship is living your life under the authority of Jesus. Worship is serving others. Worship is what Jesus is talking about in the parable in Luke chapter 19, verse 13. When the landowner told the servants to whom he had entrusted his money to do business with this until I come back. The old King James Version says, occupy till I come. See, the worship he calls for is faithful obedience. If Jesus does not return tonight at 630, keep your eyes on Jesus. Trust him. Live for him, obey him, serve him, live your life to the praise of his glory. Live in such a way that you will receive the well done of divine approval when you stand before him. The Bible describes the coming of the Lord in Titus 2.13 as the blessed hope of the church. I tell you, Jesus is coming. He promised it. This is not something to fear. This is our hope. Keep watching, keep waiting, keep working, keep worshiping. Jesus is coming. I said Jesus is coming. This is not escapism. Uh-uh. This is, this is blessed promise and hope. Bow with me, please.